Well, if you were here last week, we looked at Numbers chapter 11, where we saw the people of God grumbling and complaining about their circumstances in the wilderness. They were tired of their menu selection of having manna day after day after day. They wanted something different. And so in the midst of their grumbling, they began to glorify their past of being slaves in Egypt because of what they had to eat back then. And they even wanted to go back there. And so they failed to hold out the future promises that God had made to them as they were in the wilderness and what He was pointing them to in the future. As we come to Numbers chapter 12 that we just read this morning, we're going to see that this complaining and this grumbling, it doesn't stop. But rather it continues, but it takes a new form in the form of jealousy and envy among Israel's leadership and among this family with Moses and Miriam and Aaron. So we're going to look at the sin of jealousy this morning as we dive into God's Word. But before we do so, let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Let's pray Pray with me. Heavenly Father, would you pour out your Spirit to do what my words and my lips cannot do? And that is to bring forth your Word with great power so that it might stir in our hearts to bring about transformation. That we might look more and more like the Savior As we look at this text this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes to see where we are sinning, open our eyes to see how far short we fall from what you require of us, but furthermore, to see the great glory and the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done for us what we fail to do. Lord, would you do this by your Spirit, we ask and we beg of you this time and this hour. In Christ's name, amen. Now, jealousy and envy are character qualities that few of us readily admit that we possess. They're not endearing qualities that we would like to admit that we have. Uh, Several days ago, Jessica and I were in the car, and I made the comment to her. I said, you know, I can't believe that our friend just bought his fourth brand new vehicle within three years. And in that comment, I was simply in disbelief for the fact that He had bought four cars, brand new cars, in three years in such a short amount of time. But as God has his way of of doing things, as I'm preparing for this sermon, that comment came back to me. And what I realized is what undermined that comment was my own jealousy, my own envy. Not that I wanted to go out and buy a new car, I don't need a new car, but I did want to be able to have the financial means to go out at a drop of a hat like my friend did and buy a car if I wanted to. And so I was jealous and envious of what he had that I did not have, or could not have for that matter. And so jealousy and envy can often be subtle, and they can be disguised in these harmless thoughts and even harmless actions and comments that we make. But what we're going to see this morning as we look at this text in Numbers chapter 12 is we're going to see that jealousy can have devastating effects upon our lives and the lives of those around us. And so very simply, I want us to see three things in relating in regards to the sin of jealousy this morning. That is, I want us to see the roots of jealousy and the outworkings of it practically in our lives. And then I want to see the response to jealousy. And then finally, the remedy for jealousy. So first, let's look at the roots and the outworkings of jealousy. Now, at the beginning of this passage, we see the issue that Miriam and Aaron had with Moses. Moses had married 
a woman who was not an Israelite. She was a Cushite woman, we're told. And Miriam and Aaron, who were Moses' older brother and older sister, they were very opposed to this. They did not like that Moses had married a Cushite woman. Now, we're not sure if this woman is Zipporah, who's elsewhere mentioned as Moses' wife, or if this is another wife that he took in addition to her, or maybe after she died. We don't know. But in regards to the Israelites intermarrying with other nations, God told his people very specifically, he said, you are not to intermarry with the people in the land of Canaan. But outside of that, Moses was not sinning, he was not breaking God's law and marrying this woman who was from Cush. But yet Miriam and Aaron had serious issues with Moses' marriage to this woman. But what we find in the very next verse, in in verse 2, we find the real underlying issue that Miriam and Aaron had with their younger brother. It wasn't so much his marriage to this Cushite woman, but it was actually his leadership role and his power that he possessed. In verse 2, it says that they both said to him, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And so this comment reveals what their bigger issue was, what the root issue in their hearts was. They were jealous of their younger brother because of his position of power and authority and leadership. But notice that their questioning of Moses' superior position is not only a slight to Moses, but it's actually a slap in the face to God. Because they felt like that God had shortchanged them. Now remember, Miriam was a prophetess. So Miriam was the one who watched her little brother being put down the Nile River as he was going down before Pharaoh's daughter, remember? And she picked him up and took him into Pharaoh's house. She was also the one who, when they crossed the Red Sea and got to the other side, she led all the women, after God had safely brought them on dry ground, in song, rejoicing and praising God. So God had used Miriam undoubtedly. And Aaron, as well, on the other hand, was the one who, Moses, when Moses did not want to speak, Aaron spoke up and confronted Pharaoh. And God gave his message through Aaron to confront him and tell him to let my people go. And Aaron was also the high priest who would enter in to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And so God's use of him for his purposes and for his plan was undeniable for Miriam and for Aaron. And maybe Miriam and Aaron, they were disgruntled because they were not included in the group of 70 elders that God had raised up for Moses when he complained that he needed help just a chapter before this. We don't know for sure. But what we do know, nonetheless, is that Miriam and Aaron got caught up in thinking that in light of their past leadership roles, that they deserved more power, more authority, and more leadership than they had been given by God. See, because they've forgotten that where they were and the positions that they had was by God's grace and His grace alone, they were angry at Moses because of his status. And so their pride had them believing that they were indispensable to God's plans and His purposes. And what lied at the root of their pride was jealousy. And the root of their jealousy was their pride. Excuse me. And now jealousy and envy have a way of causing us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And like Miriam and Aaron, we too can believe that we are indispensable as well at times. 
We can see this in our jobs or maybe volunteer positions uh, where we kind of have this mentality or we say to ourselves, you know, I don't know how anything gets done around here. And if anything does get done, it doesn't get done right the way I would do it. And this can creep into the church as well in our service in God's kingdom because we can subconsciously have this attitude of, man, God, aren't you glad that I'm on your side? I mean, aren't you proud of what I can contribute for you? And we kind of have this proud mentality that we are doing something for God that he couldn't do outside of our health. But let me assure us this morning that God's creation and his plans, they're going to get along just fine without you or I and our input. See, jealousy can be rooted in pride, but it can also be rooted in selfishness as well. See, our flesh is constantly telling us to think about ourselves at all cost to the expense of God and others around us. And because our love of self, we begin desiring the best for us, while at the same time desiring something less or even the worse for that person or that group that we're jealous of. But the irony of jealousy is that its object is someone else, but in fact what it produces in us is complete self-absorption. We begin to get so tunnel vision and focused on what we want and what we think we deserve that we can't see anything else outside of that. And what it leads us to, if unchecked, is heartache and misery in our lives. Because we can't see anything outside of our own set of circumstances. Well, ungratefulness is yet another root of jealousy. Instead of acknowledging all that God has blessed us with in Christ and on this earth, we're jealous because of someone, something else that someone else has that we don't have ourselves. And so what we can do is that we can overlook everything that God has blessed us with, things that we do not deserve. Another breath that we're breathing right at this very moment. The food that's put on our table to sustain us. The house that's over our head. The safe drive that we have from work back home every day. And so we'll overlook all these different things and then we'll complain because our yard doesn't look as good as our neighbor's. Or we're not as popular and have as many friends as other people do. Or I don't have as much free time as that person does. I'm not as outgoing. My personality is not as good as theirs because they can get along with so many people and they're outgoing in a crowd. Or they make better grades and they study less than I do. Whatever it may be, we overlook these things and we focus simply on what we do not have instead of what God has blessed us with in Christ. And lastly, we need to see that jealousy can also be rooted in lust of the flesh. Now you turn on the television and commercial after commercial after commercial is just feeding our appetite for envy and jealousy of other people. Because it paints this illusion that if we can just have that next latest newest gadget that's out there, then we're going to be the envy of everyone else around us. But the problem is this is a vicious cycle that we find ourselves caught up in because someone else is always going to outdo us. We will not be able to keep up with the Joneses. And so what we're saying is that this jealousy has deep roots that can get into our heart and play itself out in devastating ways. And so as we look at the various roots of jealousy and envy, what we need to see is that jealousy calls into question the very goodness of God 
and His care for us as His children. Because what we're essentially saying when we covet something that someone else has, whether it's their uh, job, their financial status, their spouse, their car, whatever it may be, we're saying, God, you made a mistake by not giving me what I think that I need. You're in error because of what I want and you're withholding from me. And furthermore, jealousy has a way of skewing our reality. See, jealousy causes us to wrongly evaluate our own circumstances and at the same time wrongly evaluate the circumstances of the person or group that we're jealous of. And so what we do is we'll heighten the things that are just negative and awful in our circumstances while downplaying the good things and the blessings of God. And then on the other side, we'll heighten all the good things that we see in that other person's situation, all all the while neglecting any challenges or anything else that they may be walking through. And this is often how affairs begin. Two people maybe innocently at first begin talking together, and they begin over time to share the struggles and the things going on in their marriage. And then all of a sudden you start seeing this blame shifting about their spouse as the one that has all the issues. You start seeing the heightening of the negatives in their relationship and their marriage. And then as they look to one another, what do they see? They see the good things in one another. They start heightening the positive things, all the while being blind to the negatives and the way God's blessed them in their own marriage. And so they begin to believe this lie that the grass is greener on the other side. So jealousy has a twisted way of skewing reality so that we do not see the truth. And now the outworkings of jealousy vary in our lives and with our circumstances. Sometimes it manifests itself in talking behind people's backs and gossiping about others, like it did with Miriam and Aaron here. And so we find little flaws in other people and we amplify those and we spread them to anyone who will listen to us. Did you notice that Miriam and Aaron not once go to Moses and speak to him about their issue that they had with his marriage? Or the deeper issue that they had with their jealousy with his position and leadership? No, they let it stew in their hearts and stew in their minds so that it then came out of their lips to the people of Israel and spoke against their brother to others around them. Now, for those of us who use social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the other new popular ones are now, we can suffer from what I'll call Facebook envy. And what this is, is this is jealousy that slowly creeps in as you look at the posts of all kinds of other people and you see how productive, how successful, how exciting their lives look. Or you see the pictures of your friends and their latest vacation down to some exotic island off the Caribbean and you start thinking to yourself, why don't I have what they have? And post after post or blog after blog, you become very easily frustrated and discontent. Because your life and your accomplishments, they don't seem so glamorous comparatively to others around you. But what we have to realize is that those people that we are envious of and jealous of, they too are envious and jealous of other people. And it might even be you. Have you ever thought that? That the person or group that you're envious of, they might even be envious of your life 
in your circumstances. See, below what we see on the surface in people's lives and behind the polished photos and behind the carefully crafted words on blogs and Facebook posts lies the reality that jealousy and envy permeates every human heart without exception. And so if jealousy is something we all wrestle with, what's the big deal? Why is it such a big deal that God speaks into this in this passage? Well, next let's see the response to jealousy. So God sees this scene playing out between Moses and Miriam and Aaron, and we learn very quickly what God thinks about the comments that Aaron, that Aaron and Miriam made about their little brother. He says at the end of verse 2, it says, The Lord heard it. And because he heard it, he summons all three of them to come to the tent of meeting. Now, I can remember vividly when I was in elementary school that when I heard my name called over the loudspeaker to go to the principal's office, I mean, fear shot through every bone in my body. So can you imagine being summoned by God to come to a meeting? And so the three of them, they come out, and the Lord comes down in a pillar of cloud at the entrance of the tent of meetings. And he begins to explain to Miriam and to Aaron their huge judgment and error and believing that they might be on par with their little brother Moses. See, God's doing two things in this confrontation with Miriam and Aaron. First, he's bringing them to the realization that their sin of jealousy goes way deeper than just a little family squabble. No, their sin of jealousy strikes at the very authority and plan of God. Because they are rebelling against God himself, who is the one who instituted this government and who placed Moses as the mediator over his people and entrusted him with this power. And with this leadership. The second thing that we see that God is doing in this confrontation is that he's defending Moses. And he's showing to Miriam and Aaron how special Moses really is. See, Moses is unlike any other prophet in Israel, including Miriam and Aaron. Moses was God's mediator that he placed between his people and himself. In verse 6, it says, Hear my words, that there's a prophet among you. I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. I speak with him face to face or mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. And so to try to put this into modern-day context, what Jesus, I mean, excuse me, what God is saying, is he's saying, with the prophets, everyone else, I sent a text message. But with Moses, we do FaceTime together. And if you look, you remember in Exodus 33, what does God do? He passes by in front of Moses so that he can see his glory. Though not in complete and fullness, he passes by Moses so that he can see a glimpse of who he is. No one else can say that. Moses was special because God placed him in that position as mediator before his people. In verse 7, we're told that Moses is faithful as God's chief servant in his house. And so for anyone, including Moses' family, to complain and try to undermine Moses was also undermining God himself. 
But not only do we see how God responds to the sin of jealousy, do you notice how Moses responds throughout this whole ordeal? If anyone had room for pride, we could say on a human level it was Moses. Right? I mean, he talked to God face to face. No one else can say that. But we read in verse 3, Now the man Moses was meek, more than all the people on the face of the earth. And the Hebrew word here for meek is speaking to Moses' attitude. He had an attitude of humility, an attitude of meekness. And that's exactly what we see play out with his older brother and his older sister who were so jealous of him that Moses never once responds in defense of himself. You know, often when a child will do something mean to their sibling and the parent will go to the child and though silly of a question as is, we will ask, why did you do that? And what is the number one answer, maybe 99 out of 100 times, the response that we get from our child? They did it first. And so the logic is, because they hurt me, I have every right to hurt them back and get revenge, right? Well, let me ask you this morning. How do you respond when you hear that someone has said hurtful things about you? Or someone's accidentally misrepresented you? What's your response? I know I don't bite my tongue like I should. I respond like the children do, just in a little more sophisticated fashion, with a few choice words of my own to get revenge. I want to set the record straight. I want the truth to be told. I want to justify myself before my accuser and onlookers. But Moses, he didn't react to his siblings' jealousy, and he didn't try to justify himself. But let's be honest. If we look at what Moses had to endure, as we saw last week, all the grumbling and complaining of all his people, Moses could have easily said to his brother and sister, look, I didn't sign up for this position. I was voluntold that I was doing this. And so what you need to realize, though, is you wouldn't be where you are if it was not for me. That's probably what I would have said. But Moses didn't respond that way. He kept his mouth closed. And what Moses' response teaches us is that no matter how much we want to defend ourselves and we can feel ourselves start tensing up when we hear the news that someone said something about us because they're jealous of us, we don't need to respond. See, Moses didn't need to defend his own honor because God came to his aid and did it for him. God vindicated Moses. And God will do the same exact thing for every one of those who are his children as we walk humbly with him. So lastly, let's look at the remedy of jealousy. After God defends Moses and the cloud leaves, we're told that Miriam is left leprous. God had judged Miriam and Aaron because of their sin of envy and jealousy of Moses. Now you may have read that or heard me read that and you thought, well, how did Aaron get off? Why was uh, Miriam the one who was left leprous and Aaron wasn't? Well, the long and the short is we don't know for sure. could be that Miriam's name is mentioned first in verse 1, and so maybe she instigated this and Aaron went along with it. But I think there may be an even better reason to understand why Aaron is not left leprous like his sister. Now, we know that Aaron was the high priest, as we mentioned earlier, and so his role was to intercede on behalf of the people. 
and to make atonement through various sacrifices. And so God has exposed Miriam and Aaron's sin of jealousy in speaking out and rebelling against God's own mediator, their brother, Moses. So what does God's judgment force Miriam and Aaron to see? Well, they are forced to see their desperate need for a mediator. They have to go to their own brother to plead on their behalf to God. Aaron says to Moses in verse 11, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we've done foolishly and we've sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And once again, we see the humility of Moses who doesn't hesitate, but he pleads and cries out to God for healing for Miriam. See, God was showing Miriam and Aaron that Moses was unique and that they needed a mediator because without him, they were helpless and hopeless. And that's the same predicament that you and I are in this morning. We read the Tenth Commandment earlier. And as God's law exposes our sin, we see that our pride and thinking that we're better than anyone else, our selfishness that causes us to look out for number one at all costs, and our ungratefulness that tries to minimize and undervalue God's blessing in our lives, all of these things deserve rebuke and the punishment of God. See, our sin has earned for us the removal outside of God's presence for all eternity. No hope of fellowship. Just like Miriam and Aaron who sinned against Moses, who was God's mediator, you and I have sinned against the one whom Moses prefigured. We read in Hebrews chapter 3, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Listen to this. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. See, like Moses, when Jesus was accused by his accusers, he spoke not a word. 1 Peter 2, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And whereas Moses was unique to be able to speak to God face to face and to see his glory partially, what we have is Jesus is the full revelation of God as he is the embodiment of God's glory in the flesh. Because of our sin, each one of us, we're on equal footing before God. We're all in need of a mediator. And it's solely on the basis of Christ's merit and his work alone that we can be brought into his fellowship once more. So if this is true, which it is, then that means we have no room for jealousy and no room for envy of one another. For what we deserve because of our jealousy and because of our envy and every other sin that we've committed is eternal punishment and separation from God. But thanks be to God that just like God acted with Miriam, when Moses pleaded on, his, on her behalf, and he called her back into the camp after seven days and restored her back into fellowship, how much more has God's compassion and his love been poured out in the blood that was spilt by Jesus Christ in order to purchase sinners back into communion and fellowship into the family of God for all eternity? See, when jealousy 
tries to rear its head in our lives, we have to see it more than just we're wanting something that someone else has. It's that, but it's much more. It's challenging the very goodness and the very sovereignty of a loving God. So we have to see our envy as despising God's goodness towards our neighbor and a lack of trust for his provision in our own lives. See, we must repent before God when we see this sin stirred up in our hearts. And when necessary, we need to repent before our neighbor as well. See, God has proven his great love for his children through the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we have no need to envy or desire what someone else has. If he loved you enough to send his very own son, the journey of grace that he is walking you down right now at this very moment is tailor-made specifically for you and no one else. So no matter what you may be walking through, we have to remind ourselves as this, these seeds of doubt and jealousy stir up in our hearts. Because if we're in Christ this morning, we can be assured that our past, our present, and our future circumstances are in the hands of a perfect and sovereign creator who loves us deeply. See, the remedy for jealousy is a mediator in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the remedy for the jealousy that still exists until his return once again is to rest in the knowledge that he knows what we need and when we need it far better than we do. So find contentment this morning. Find rest in knowing that regardless of there being someone else out there who has a better career path, who has a better financial situation, who has a better looking spouse, who has a better looking car, regardless of those things, you have exactly what you need right now for your good and for God's greater glory. Don't pine after other things. Christ knows what you need and He's giving it to you right at this moment. Why would you want anything else or someone else's path when God has set His path for you right in front of you? Walk in it with full confidence that it is good and it's for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice over the reality that as we look at your law and we fall short of it, that there was a mediator that came, your own son, to uphold the law perfectly and to fulfill what we could not fulfill. And Lord, thank you that you do not keep us outside the camp as it were, but that you have brought us back in through the blood of your son. Lord, may we rest. Would you teach us how to rest and be content in what you have brought before us every day, knowing that it is good and it is for our good and will also bring you the most glory. And Lord, when we do sin and we pine after other people's things and what they have and their situation, Lord, may we repent and may we again rest in your finished work. We ask this all in Christ's matchless name.